Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool. Walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia, made to travel. You're looking more and more like Dave. Good move. <laughs> Putting on the, uh, the flannel. Flannel is a big help. Is flanneling up kind of like... Uh... Women putting all their makeup on and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an important well, night. I better flannel up. I better flannel up. <laughs> you might run into some neighbors at dinner. <laughs> this is Sunday School. Here we go. And to our Look at him go. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Penn Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Godot, and we are broadcasting from the Show Creator Studios in Las Vegas. Today we're recording a Frequently Asked Questions episode. Ready has compiled a bunch of the regular questions, and today we're going to answer them. So here we go. Preach love, <laughs> Mr. Ben Gillette. Yeah, we're kind of rushed on that one. I didn't have time to, you know, write out. Well, well we've got to write out. We'll <laughs> I don't know. Frequently asked questions is all it is. Hello, you angel-headed hipsters. <laughs> Here we are preaching love, and this is love uh, that's mostly paperwork. Yeah. But, you know, um, we have, we've done something odd with this show. Uh, the podcast itself is a uh, rather standard podcast. It started out in the uh, radio show with me and Godot. CBS, yeah. Uh, and CBS. And then uh, I uh, was with Adam Carolla on... Uh, see, what I did was uh, they gave me an ultimatum on CBS, right? Yeah. Our show was doing very well on there, even though uh, 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 my the guy that follows us up in the Northern California area, yeah. called on his listeners to kill me. Right. It was a little, little, one of the darker chapters sure. in CBS history. There were lawsuits. We were deposed. Uh, we, sh- we should also know that they were unsuccessful. Yes, they were. They yeah. were. They offered money. Um, what was it, $5,000? I don't remember. $5,000, I think, if you killed me, and 7000 if I suffered. <laughs> I'm not joking. I know. I'm not joking. <laughs> Nor were they. Yeah. Uh, what came up was. Um, it turns out his salary is not what people expected. Here <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, is the deal: uh, a a failed radio guy, strangely enough, who I'd been on his show. Ah. And because I do everybody's show, right? Yeah. And so I'd been at his show before, and we, you know, made jokes and pimp whatever show we were doing, <laughs> and then. Um, we were doing a show, and there was a rumor, just a, a, one of these nutty rumors that nobody believes, but if you're doing a daily radio show, you do shtickle on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. Uh, Stern, 
is the biggest thing that ever happened in radio. Yes. And uh, Howard Stern was leaving to take a sweetheart deal to go to XM. Yep. Now, he'd recreated radio. Now, the powers that be in radio wanted to find out how can we keep the same ratings Howard has. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you... They don't understand regression to the mean. Yes. Okay. Howard was, is a phenomenon. Yeah. Howard recreated the form. Howard did everything. And Howard did that with raw skill coupled with right place at the right time, huge amount of luck. Yeah. The million choices that he could make that were random, he made them right. So... I I love to go to these sports analogies. Yes. Right? It's the, it's the cover of Sports Illustrated curse, right? Yeah. Whenever someone's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, their career after that doesn't go as well. Right. The reason is not a curse, but regression of the mean. Yeah. If you're celebrated the best year of your life, the next year is going to be worse. <laughs> um, my father was a little over six foot. Uh-huh. I'm six foot seven. My son will probably be six three, six four. Hmm. Regression to the mean. Hmm. Okay? It's always gonna be that. Okay. So when you get rid of Howard, okay, you uh you're going to go regression to the mean. Even and this is impossible, but even if the next guy was as good as Howard, Let's say the next guy is absolutely in every way as good as Howard. Now, Howard's the best there's ever been. There's not going to be another best, but say there is. There's still going to be regression to the mean because that whole buildup, all of it that seemed right, that seemed special, that seemed magic. And it took Howard years to build that into that success. It's like so they want you to jump in the first day hitting those home runs that Howard hit. Yeah. It's like the, the idiots who say, we need someone like Walt Disney to run Disney now. (laughs) There's plenty of people like Walt Disney. Steve Jobs. (laughs) Bill Gates. They're running their own companies. Disney can't hire them away. You just can't do that. Okay? So uh, the way Tim Jennison puts this is shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Grandfather makes the money. Son establishes the money. Grandson loses the money. (laughs) Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, three generations. That's the way it goes. We're seeing it happen with Apple, right? Yeah. Got a great guy in there, whatever his name is, Tim Cook, right? Yeah. Great, great guy. Not Steve Jobs. Okay? We go from this is something that reinvents the world to now I can be a talking unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) That's regression to me. So Howard Stern is leaving, and I want to say this with – The utmost humility. I am not a radio guy. Mm -hmm. I am am not as smart as Howard. I don't have my finger on the pulse like Howard. But among the hundreds of people they talk to about going into Howard's slot, they talk to me. Mm -hmm. And they said to me a few things that were pretty funny. One was they said they would just buy out Penn & Teller. And when I said, no, no. I like doing Penn and Teller. <laughs> they said, I love this. They said, well, you'll have no trouble doing Penn and Teller at night, being done at midnight, prepping the show in Vegas, starting it at 3 a.m., doing your four hours, 
on the air, doing a recap afterwards with the staff, then going to sleep and getting up and doing your show after that. It'll be no problem. It fits right in (laughs) with doing the live show in Vegas, to which I referred them to the Navy studies of sleep deprivation. (laughs) And I told them, here's when psychosis sets in. And you may think that Howard's a wacky, crazy guy, but he is not under sleep deprivation psychosis. Right. So there was never a real offer. I want to make that very clear. I don't want anybody pulling this out and saying, oh, Pence claiming he was offered. I was not offered it. Some guy at some level sat me down and talked for a half an hour. Yeah. Meanwhile, they were probably talking for 20 hours to all the other guys who really did say no. Right. Said no with a contract in front of them. And they were like, we'll buy out Van Halen. Yeah, uh, that's what can. they did. <laughs> we need someone that'll be uh, easy to be hated after that. Uh, yeah. What they did get out of me was, you'll do an hour show a day on CBS. And we did an hour show. Godot was my co-host. Yeah. And we had a uh, fabulous time doing it. We had fun really doing it. Really fantastic show. Really fun doing it. Really I, fun. I was a listener to that show when I used to drive into New York. I loved that show. And we loved it. And the really funny thing was uh, there was a studio. You never saw it. But there was a studio <laughs> in New York oh, that's, CBS. I talked to them all the time, though. Yeah. But there was a studio. Yeah. And it said on the door... Uh, Pen radio, right? Yeah. And it would go on the air when I was on. <laughs> and uh, there would then be an engineer sitting in there uh, confabbing with Godot <laughs> and with, um, with uh, uh, pa- uh, Patrick getting the whole thing to go across there. And I arrived there once to do some liners and also do one show. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark there live and everybody said we wonder how you get in the studio and out without us seeing you like in the parking lot i said i'm not there (laughs) they had the studio set up so we did how long we go a year two years two two years we did two Two years years. and uh uh they said at the end of two years we can't sell a one-hour block of time we just can't do it so then we had this wonderful surreal conversation I love this conversation more than anything. They said, we'd like you to go to four hours a day. I said, I, I can't do four hours a day. They said, we can't sell an hour. I said, well, I, I can't do four hours a day. Four hours a day means with a show at night. I also have a family now. I, I'll just die. And they said, well, we can probably sell two hours. And then they said a sentence that I absolutely love. They said, you know, Penn, two hours isn't any more than one hour. <laughs> I said, I, I believe it's one hour more. And they said, no, 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 it isn't. I said, yes, 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 it is. <laughs> they said, no, 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 no. See, you've got to come in. You've got to prep. You've got to get ready. You've got to afterwards. And all that prep is the same amount of time. And all the afterwards is the same amount of time. It's really no longer. I said, it's really one hour longer. <laughs> it's, it's one hour to two hours. 
That's one hour longer. <laughs> Two minus one equals one. They said, no, no, you're looking at it wrong. <laughs> that conversation went back and forth. Yeah. So then I said to them, well, why don't I give you four hours? They said, whoop-de-doo. I said, once a week. I'll do four hours once a week. And I said, how about I do four hours on Sunday called Penn Sunday School? Wouldn't that be great? And they said, how about two hours a day? It's no more than what you're doing now. And uh, they tried, uh, or they claimed to try. We never know what show business. But yeah. I'm telling you what I heard or what I remember. <laughs> they tried to sell four hours a day and couldn't do it. And uh, so we wound down. Penn Radio was very, very, uh, very sad. But Boy, was there more time in the day after that. Two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went on uh, uh, Celebrity Apprentice, mm -hmm. and Adam Carolla was talking about the wonders of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And I said, I always wanted to do a show called uh, Penn Sunday School. And he said, do it. And I went, oh, well, I don't know if I can really do the full four. I said, do it anything like you want. I said, oh, so I, I'll just, just come on, do it. I said, well, I don't know if we could really gear up to you. Just come on and do it. Just do it. It's easy. So we have to make a deal. He said, well, the deal's made. Just do it. If, if anybody knows Adam Grola, that is absolutely what goes into starting all of his podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has like 30 now. Yeah. It does seem, um, it may seem like uh, he's giving artistic control. Yeah. But what it is, is you don't really understand the profound laziness of Adam Carolla. <laughs> it's astonishing. It's really astonishing. It's something beautiful to see. He's fallen into that uh, Bill Murray yeah. groove. Yeah. Where he just is. What they say is stand-up. He doesn't write a stand-up. He just no. kind of thinks about stuff. And then yeah. goes on and starts talking to the crowd. Well, that's also because he can't write. <laughs> that's why he can't write his stand-up. He can't write. We have very little evidence he can read. Uh, but Adam, he, he, Indeed, he will not read his own books. Right, he can't. He makes them up. He does. Book on tape, he just he reads them. Just, yeah. Tell me what this chapter was about, and I'll riff on it. <laughs> Which is actually a good uh, a good economic model, yeah. Because then he uh, he can sell the book and the audio book to the exact same people yeah. who, hear, who hear something different all the time. <laughs> so toward the end, wasn't it, Godot? Um, there was a rumor, and one of these rumors that no one would comment on unless you're trying to fill time in a radio show. Which currently, that's what we are doing. Yeah, um, and the rumor was for a minute in one paper that uh, Paris Hilton was being considered to play Mother Teresa in the biopic. <laughs> okay? Imagine our joy. <laughs> so I said Paris Hilton can't play Mother Teresa. She's too moral. To play Teresa. <laughs> Paris Hilton is essentially a good moral person, and Mother Teresa was a monster. I did a lot of the show... Not a lot of the show. Did what? A ten minute hunk? Yeah, no. Ten minute hunk. Talking about uh, what was wrong with Mother Teresa using the, the work we did on bullshit, mm -hmm. the research plus uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens' book. I was say Hitchens' uh, book. Yeah, uh, missionary position. Yeah, I told some Hitchens stories. Went on. Did 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 radio. Uh, unbeknownst to me, completely unbeknownst to me, but known to Godot, and Godot was under strict uh, rules that uh, he was not to talk to me about reviews or anybody said about the show. So there was a, uh, he was uh, in the very awkward position 
of often keeping information from his co-worker mm-hmm. and very, very My good pal. Yeah. and very good friend. Yes. So he was very often during this show in possession of information that he would certainly talk to me about that he wasn't allowed to by our relationship on the air. I don't want to hear about this. So um, uh, Goudot knew there was this Kahuli up in uh, Northern California who was a Catholic, who was doing his show. His show was local. My show was national. But his show, the first hour, some of the first two hours of his show, were commenting on my show. Yeah, so he would sit for the hour and listen to to us and then go on to the air and whine about us. (laughs) We were filling his time. It was easy for him to do two hours. (laughs) That's actually now, what I do. We on, did the prep work for him on Sundays because we record Ice Cream Social right after Penn Sunday School. I just go there and, and recap everything we <laughs> Do you yeah. really? No, but this this last Monday's episode, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I couldn't stop thinking about driverless cars. But that's <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, so uh, I didn't know he was doing that. And we were getting a lot of people writing in saying, what is this? We also spent the second half just adjusting $7,000 for inflation from whenever Howard went off the air to today's dollars. <laughs> so if I put out a death threat, it would be the same rate. I'd yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, 10. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, this Kahuli yeah. would be up there uh, 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 talking. Right. Yeah. And Godot was very aware of it. There were a lot of complaints that were coming. People were sending me the emails. I used to do Reddy's job of answering all of the emails. And so every day there would be emails going, you guys got to talk to this guy. You did or did not listen to his clips of him. Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. So um, when we get there, I have questions. Yeah. So uh, president of CBS, Mm -hmm. Big Cheese, didn't like this guy's show at all. Right. Uh Otherwise, he'd have a national show. Yeah. Also, uh, he had inherited it in some way. Um, yeah. Also, did not um, like talking about a show that was before, not just for uh, uh, esprit de corps reasons, but also because some people tune in to that show and you force him to watch the show before so he could hate it. it. It's not good radio. Yeah. So they told him, quit it. Just quit it. He was also talking about the president of CBS at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying his name right. for two reasons. One reason, he didn't ever want his name spoken, and I'm still respecting that. And two, I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you list them in order? or uh... No. <laughs> one is actually the reason, and one is the rationalization. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually two different. Ca- They're actually one and one. List of reasons. <laughs> list of rationalizations. One A, one B. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he, this guy was also this uh, this stone solid fool was also uh, talking about uh, the president of CBS and addressing him directly on the air. Maybe I'll give him a call. Trying to do stunt stuff like Howard. Yeah. That's... To the guy that worked with Howard. I mean, <laughs> foolish. The guy was, 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 was incompetent and a loser. Yeah. He also had a sports team around him of, like, guys. Mm. So uh, I knew none of this. I'm just <laughs> blissfully doing my show. Godot knows, la, knows la, all of la. it. <laughs> and then uh, uh, they uh, come in. It's uh, Friday morning. I'm about to do my show. 
And my direct boss, the guy right above us, gives me a call. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in the studio like I am before the show starts where all this phone rings. Oh, my, i got to take this man. It's Bob, okay? So I uh, take the phone call, and he goes, Penn, I want you to know CBS takes death threats very seriously. <laughs> and I say... That's a really good policy. <laughs> Why are you telling me? And he says, oh, Christ. Oh, Christ. Um, uh, n- never mind. Never Just do your show. <laughs> we really can't talk about this now. I-, I say, what? And you're sitting across from me. You know what he's saying on the phone. And Godot knows word for word what's happened the day before. Yeah. <laughs> which is him and his, 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 his bunch of gigas are sitting around talking about how we said this about Paris Hilton not being immoral enough to play Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, we should have him killed. I offer 5,000, whatever the number was. I offer 5,000. Now, I had never heard this recording. Yeah. So I don't know what he said. But this is the basic idea, right? Yeah. $5,000 and 7000 if he uh, suffers. Just to prove how much better morals a Catholic has. <laughs> yeah. Over an atheist. Once again. <laughs> yeah. I'll show this guy what a moral is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they talk about this for a few minutes, yeah. right? And then let it go. And then in that same call, <laughs> they talk about the president of CBS by name. Right. Why doesn't he fire Penn? Da, 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 da. So they have violated, without the death threat, they have done two things that the president of CBS said he would fire them for. <laughs> right? Yeah. Comment on the show before yeah. and mention the president. Okay? They have done two fireable offenses without the death threat. <laughs> Which is really pretty fabulous. Yeah. Pretty fabulous there. Because this, the death threat becomes gravy. (laughs) Nothing more. The turkey and the stuffing are already there for the firing. Okay. So I go, uh, I got a, I got a, I got a death threat. And Goudeau, who is, I think, in the worst position this whole thing, (laughs) because he is now in the position which I, I, I don't think for a moment I ever questioned you, but in Godot's heart, I'm, I mean, speaking for you, he was aware of a death threat to his friend for 22 hours, yeah. sitting on it. Had, had you listened to the clip, Godot? No, no had, I had just been uh, emailed about it. You've been emailed about it. Yeah. Did you feel like the guy was pulling the stunt? Or you, or like, I guess like percentage-wise, what percentages were you giving the gravity? Uh, a lot because it was direct cash offer to someone to come in. So it wasn't about that guy, but it was about the, any guy listening. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, any listener who goes and does this, I'll pay him. It was yeah. just a, it was as so far as I can tell, just one... a blanket statement. And I thought, you know, there, the chances that somebody is crazy enough listening on this show to try this, yeah, are not not Low. small. Yeah. Okay. And Godot also is operating under a promise that he won't talk to me about this stuff. He doesn't want to upset me before the show. This is slowly becoming an Asimov novel. <laughs> Two yeah. conflicting agreements. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, I believe it, it ripped Godot apart quite a bit. I believe that was a tough, that was a tough day for him. We made it. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Did part of you, Godot, and this is just, I know it's, it's all past. Everything's, now you're uh-huh. not stressed anymore. But at the time you were stressed, 
Yeah. Did part of you think about collecting that seven thousand dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I was armed. <laughs> I'm here to protect you. Yeah. Wait, Go all they, Manchurian candidate. No, like, God, they, they fired that guy, and now he doesn't have money to pay me. <laughs> Well, they hadn't fired him. <laughs> Not yet. That's the important part. Right. Therein lies a whole separate tale. And right. I've decided that this fact is going to be mostly just this story. <laughs> because the story's, the story's a pretty great story. And I haven't ever told it on the air. Right? You told Ready? parts. I don't think, I don't think you ever told it as in depth like this. Well, you told parts, and I can't tell you. I can't split it apart from the book because I did the book for you too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, that this is done under the of like, where, what, what, where, what is PSS and where did it come from? So this is this yeah. is. I don't think it's ever been framed as the origin story of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're framing it right now. The people that are asking that question, yeah, are normally Christians running churches in Asia or Africa. <laughs> Asking what question? What is your show all about? Oh, I see. I see. I see. <laughs> so this um, is the FAQ is coming, the, the source of the FAQ. So we'll take a little break here. Okay. And answer those people. Um, Sunday school to me yeah. was a uh, wonderful experience. I absolutely adored Sunday school. And uh, many, 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 we're going to come back to the whole story. Here, just hold where that is in your mind. We'll come back to it. Put a pin in it. Well, I, yeah, I just was trying to not use that. <laughs> oh, I, I was trying to say it obnoxiously. <laughs> <laughs> many, 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 many people who are uh, religious believers, when they want to talk to me about their religion, they will say to me, when they want to explain my atheism, they will say, I'm very, very sorry that you were treated so badly by Christians in your youth that you ran away from the church, hated the church, and went to atheism. Uh, the depth of the misunderstanding of atheism there yeah. is, is really profound. Um, my experience with the Christians in the first congregational church, which they called First Congo, which I love, <laughs> <laughs> the first congregational church in Greenfield, Massachusetts, uh, was... 100% positive, except for some fidgeting in the pews when I was young. <laughs> Every moment of that was wonderful. I liked the music. I liked the choir. The pastor that we had, uh, all the kind of atheist descriptions of pastors and priests as pedophiles and um, sick uh, people, uh, praying on their congregation and grabbing money from them and all of that. Not one of those things is true, e even in the most abstract and the most minuscule amounts. The pastor I had, Reverend Arthur Shaw, when I was a young man, uh, child, was um, breathtakingly well-educated. He was kind, he was generous, he was able to listen. He was, in every way that I can categorize him, a good man. My father, who was born into Christianity, was a Christian his whole life, and was buried by me as a Christian, was a good man. My father still remains in my mind, one of the greatest men I've ever met. 
He raised me beautifully. He raised me with unconditional love. He raised me with a kind of um, strength and a kind of um, love of life and a love of me that uh, I can't imagine doing better. You know, if I am able to hit 40% of how good a dad my uh, my dad was to me, to my children, I will consider myself completely successful and I will stand on a hill and crow. Okay? he's He is the pinnacle there. And a lot of that was his Christian faith. My mother, also wonderful, was in her heart not a Christian. <laughs> she wore a hat to church. My mom and dad, who were not wealthy, were some of the biggest donors to the church. My dad led the choir. My mom did the bookkeeping. My sister worked at the church. My brother-in-law was the groundskeeper. Um, we were heavily integrated into the church, and uh, Pastor Shaw was a wonderful, wonderful man, and I was treated great. I loved the church, and I loved Sunday school. And um, I loved the hymn, This Is My Father's World, mm-hmm. which goes, This is my father's <laughs> world, and to my listening ears, and so on. <laughs> That's the theme we have. As a matter of fact, I still own the house that my mother and father built. They built it themselves. And I asked for some of the books that were on my shelf there to be sent to me as the woman who lives there now is clean. She lives there. Uh, I don't charge her anything. She lives there so she can maintain the house, and also it's it helps her out. And she was very, very important woman to my mother in the last years of her life, so kind of trying to pay that back. And she sent me, and almost like a movie scene with a sting and chills, she sent me my Bible and my hymnal. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the Bible in the front said Pendulette, the little thing in the front, and was well-worn because I read it. And then there was the hymnal. And the hymnal had a uh, bookmark that I made as a child, and I opened it up, and it was This Is My Father's World. <laughs> it was the Penn Sunday School theme. Wow. Which I, my favorite tune in church when the pastor would say, are there any hymns that you'd like to hear at the sermon? I would always say that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I stood up to hear that. Not you today, Penn. Someone else besides Penn. Please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is a huge amount of Penn Sunday School that is not in any way sarcastic or smarmy. Uh, I loved the idea of a congregation and getting together. And I also love when I went to Sunday school that our pastor spoke about things that were very, very uncomfortable for a pastor to talk about. My pastor was very comfortable talking about atheism. You know, uh, one of the things he suggested when I was 15 or 16 and searching heavily was that I read the Bible. So I did. And I came back with a with a boatload, a Noah's Ark load of questions. <laughs> and uh, the pastor entertained those. And then the pastor finally said, and I've told this story briefly before, but uh, it always sounds snarkier than it is. 
the pastor went to my mom and dad and said, you know, at, at youth group, it wasn't called Sunday school, at youth group, which is the high school age group, uh, Penn has been talking about atheism a lot, which I like him doing. Uh, but he is being more compelling on the side of atheism than I am on the side of Christianity. <laughs> and I think maybe I should have my talks with Penn about atheism in private. And he should no longer come to Sunday school. Now, that as I when I tell that quickly and as a joke, yeah, it makes him look like some sort of weak monster. Yeah, yeah. But it was done much more sweetly and pleasantly, and he hadn't given up on me. You know. Right. So uh, those who say, "Well, Penn became an atheist because the Christians in his life treated him badly," could not be more wrong. If anything. I became an atheism, an atheist, because Pastor Shaw and Samuel Herbert Gillette um, treated me so well and like what we would like to say ideally Christians would teach. I felt like I had unconditional love, and I felt free and open to talk about anything I wanted. The other thing about Sunday school is uh, a lot of people spoke to me about how important it was to hear people living their lives with atheism, Mm -hmm. you know, just talking about that. And a lot of people mentioned that after they listened to uh, the radio show with me and Godot, when we would go off on a whole jag about atheism, that was one thing. But then when we talk about our families and just living normal lives as atheists, that actually I still get people talking to me all the time after the show and saying that means a lot to them. People were inspired by the idea that that atheists could be happy and that we had regular lives and that we were joyful people. You know, yeah. People, you know, you're told, well, atheists are monsters, they have horns, they're angry, and we aren't. <laughs> we are. I wish we had horns, yeah, but we, we don't have horns. We would like horns. <laughs> we would not like to be angry. Um, there's, there's just no joy in that. Yeah. So, uh, and also people liked us talking about atheism on the radio show because it stopped us from talking about juggling. <laughs> which there are people who are closed off to the idea of people talking about atheism. Yeah. But there is nobody who wants to hear people talk about juggling. No. <laughs> So uh, Penn Sunday School was a way to get together and in the spirit of Pastor Shaw and in the spirit of uh, my dad, be willing to entertain all those things. My dad, I never lied to him. I told him I was an atheist. And my dad's reaction to that was to try to convince me. And then my dad, and I'm going to try to say this without crying because it's it's so much about my dad was. My dad used to say often, as a cute joke, but also absolutely real, he would say, after my mother came out as an atheist, and after my sister came out as an atheist, uh, which, you know, was my mother was in her 80s when she actually said the words, I'm an atheist, and my sister was in her 70s. Uh, and then they, they quit the church. But give you an idea. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. My dad said... You know, when I die, I'm going to have to work so hard to convince God to let my whole family into heaven. (laughs) But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Oh, 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 my gosh. And I mean, 
He was aware it was cute and funny. Yeah. And I have no doubt he believed it all the way down to his heart. And what finally did it was um, the Reverend, uh, Reverend Shaw mm-hmm. retired. Another pastor was in there. Maybe another two or three pastors were in there that I didn't know because I'd the, uh, gone David, off with a David Lee Roth of church pastors. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, there was a pastor, uh, Pastor Shirley. And Pastor Shirley um, was uh, uh, had taken over the church when my parents were um, very close to housebound. Mm-hmm. They would get to church when there was a whole wheelchair van procession thing, mm-hmm. they could get into church. But it was a big deal. Uh, maybe there weren't wheelchairs at that point, but it was still a big deal. Walkers, and it was tough if there was snow and stuff. So Pastor Shirley would come by the house, as a good pastor would, mm-hmm. and visit my... Uh, my dad was going blind at the time uh, and uh, had lost part of his foot. And my mother was becoming paralyzed. And Pastor Shirley would show up, was very, very kind to them. Uh, Pastor Shirley also lived, she had a roommate who was a woman, and there were rumors going around mm-hmm. that Pastor Shirley might be a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was infuriated by these rumors, not because it even bothered him about her being a lesbian, but because it was nobody's business. My mom and dad were cliche New Englanders in that's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. My mother tried to watch... Uh, those Phil Donahue, yeah, sure. Oprah type shows, because <laughs> she wanted to talk to uh, Bill Cosby's mother, who was in her bridge club. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. wanted to talk to them over uh, cards, and they all watched those shows. All the other older women watched those shows. My mother didn't, so she tried to watch. And the first show she watched had a brother and sister who were living together as husband and wife. This was the scandal they did a whole show on. And my mother said, I just f- couldn't care. It's, <laughs> it's their business. <laughs> I just don't know why anybody cares. Where's there anything to talk about in that? <laughs> that she'd watch another show. Or there was somebody who'd broken up with, who cares about that? And I remember watching Al Goldstein, the pornographer, with um, Tom, uh, Tom Snyder mm-hmm. being interviewed about a court case about Screw Magazine. And I happened to be home. I was visiting. I'd been living on the road, but I came home to visit. And we happened to watch Tom Snyder that night with Al Goldstein on, who I knew. And uh, my mother said, uh, well, what magazine do they want to stop? So it's a magazine called Screw, Mom, and it's uh, extremely pornographic. It is extremely, extremely pornographic. And my mother said, well, I've, I've never even looked at a Playboy. I said, I know. And she said, this is extremely pornographic? I said, yes. And she said, are, are they making people read it? <laughs> I said, uh, no, it, it, it costs money to read. So you have to buy this magazine to read it? Well, what are they complaining about? This is a stupid show. Of course you sell that, and then nobody reads it. At least I don't want to. I said, Ex- exactly, Mom. So their attitude toward people, I mean, there was, a, there was a bakery in town in the 70s run by two men who were very clearly gay. And some of my dad's friends were, um, 
were complaining that there was this bakery. Uh, and my dad said, we buy our bread there because we like fresh bread. Tire argument on gay rights with my father. That was it. That was the entire, we like fresh bread. The entire argument for the entire gay rights movement. Not another comment, we like fresh bread. And my dad said, I enjoy going in there and joking with the fellas. <laughs> That's it. Get the fresh bread. We're done. The Gillettes have always been straight shooters, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> you you got fresh bread. You visit my parents. They're happy with you. And I feel like your dad secretly knew that, like, a compliment from a gay guy about something you're wearing is the highest compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better than a straight guy. Better than your wife. Better sure. Than, yeah. He was... Uh... And fresh bread. <laughs> fresh bread. Oh, we all know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this this trio in here loves a, loves fresh bread. Yeah. yeah. And my dad would say occasionally they bring have pie. <laughs> oh, come so on. You don't need. There's, right. there's no level of sodomy that cancels out pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pole pot is selling pie. Okay. So. <laughs> well, that's his pie. business. That's his business. <laughs> See, North Korea, they start making fresh bread. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Um, so. The elders in the church, who were all old men, said that um, they were going to, um, they needed to get rid of Pastor Shirley because she was a lesbian. And uh, they, they, they then came out with the United Church of Christ. Uh, no one knows this. It was an important thing in the history of the United Church of Christ, but no one knows it now. There was a thing called um, accepting, accepting and confirming. I think, which was going to be that they were going to accept gays into the church. Mm. And each church had a vote on it. Pastor Shirley voted that our church was in favor of that. She took no vote with the congregation. (laughs) They went crazy. They went crazy and said, since Northampton was the lesbian capital of the world, (laughs) San Francisco for lesbians, that the Northampton was only 20 minutes away, and the lesbians were going to come and take over our church if we did uh, accepting and confirming. <laughs> My mom and dad went crazy. Now, I want to tell you that my mom and dad, I think I'd heard my dad say hell maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. He was very angry. My mother would sometimes say when she saw a spider, Get that GD monster off the wall. That was as close as she said, came to goddamn. That GD monster for a spider. They never Which said shit. every epithet. <laughs> they never said shit, as far as I knew. Okay? They were at a baked bean and ham dinner, and one of the elders of the church came over and said, we're signing this petition to get rid of Pastor Shirley. And my mother said, why? And they said, well, she's a lesbian. And my mother said, who cares? And the elder of the church said, well, read your Bible. And my mother then said, I believe that Anton LaVey has never said anything this blasphemous. My mother turned to the elder of the church and said, fully on your Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine that? 
<laughs> All the fuck gods in the world yeah, yeah. do not match an 82-year-old woman at a ham and bean <laughs> supper at a church saying to a church elder, fooey on your Bible. And my parents left the church. They left the church that they had been in for, I think they had been members for 70 years. Oh my they gosh. left the church over Pastor Shirley. And to give you an idea of the kind of people my mom and dad were, they had tithed to give, to donate to the church. They kept giving money up until the promise was over. You know, in June, people the decided. End of the fiscal year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they kept that up till then. So they'd quit the church and then kept paying because they'd promised to. Oh my God. And then after that, my sister and my brother in law, they lost the choir director, the groundskeeper, the bookkeeper. Everybody split over Pastor Shirley being a lesbian, right? Which was spun by them as this is how upset the Gillettes are. They're leaving because she's a lesbian. To which my mother said, I don't care what they think. They're gone. A bunch of old men who are afraid of lesbians. What's wrong with them? <laughs> These old men, what's wrong with them? So my, uh, my parents uh, leave the church, and uh, they still give the money. And then they said, when, when June rolled around, whenever it was, they said to my sister, we have all this money that we give to the church that we now have. What are we going to do with that? And my sister said, let me do some research. And she went and said, it looks like if we put this money together for a whole year's worth of our family and your family, we can buy jaws of life for the firemen to be able to open up uh, cars that people are stuck in, and we can buy some bulletproof vests for the local police. So why don't we do that? So they put that money in a fund and kept tithing, and my sister kept finding worthy causes around town. Nice. And when my mother told me she was an atheist and had left the church, I said, you know something? I want to warn you about this. Pastor Shirley is going to come to your house. And Pastor Shirley is going to say to you, I know this. I know the way these people work. Come to the church and say, Mrs. Gillette, I know we've had a little problem here in the church, but I don't think it's worth losing your faith. Please, don't go overboard, but understand the church is more important than this petty little squabble. Please don't lose your Christianity. My mother said, well, whatever she wants to say is fine. She's coming over next week. She came <laughs> over the next week. My mother called me and said, Pastor Shirley said good thinking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know... But you bring up an important point to me, which is every time I see people come to my house, see there's Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormon missionaries or whatever, part of me is just heartbroken because yeah. of the hours. I was just like the, the hours they're committing to this way of doing business, you know, and, and, if, and they believe in their hearts they're going home and, and feeling like they've done good for the earth. And if they just spent those hours doing anything else. Anything. Yeah, anything really. else. Composting coffee grounds. <laughs> yeah. Raking <laughs> leaves. Anything <laughs> would be more so useful. When you go down the strip and you see the people there holding their crucifixes and, and, and shouting at people as they go through that. Yeah. You know? Baking bread. <laughs> go bake bread. <laughs> Compete with the gays. Like fresher bread than those gay guys. You're probably doing better. So my dad died uh, a Christian. 
my mom and sister died uh, atheist. And uh, my mother said at one point, which I think is probably the one of the most important sentences ever said, my mother said, you know, I don't think I ever believed. I just liked seeing my friends and wearing a hat on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, what Almost Penn universal. <laughs> what Penn Sunday School is, is seeing your friends and wearing a hat on Sunday. That's, that is our mission statement. Now, postscript, yeah. I went back to Greenfield, Massachusetts, <laughs> and there are uh, overtly lesbian coffee shops, <laughs> record shops. The elders were right. The elders were 100% right. It's gentrified. It's really groovy. The lesbians did come in. Thank goodness. We're going to tell the rest of the death threat story after uh, these ads. Now, if you could summarize all that in Korean and French Swahili. We'll be <laughs> hey, I'm bringing you these advertisements from Tokyo. You can hear the super smart crows outside. Crows are smart anyway, but Tokyo's got some wicked smart ones, and they've been checking me out right outside my, my window here at the, uh, what am I, Park Hyatt in Tokyo. The Lost Translation Hotel is where I am, and I want to talk to you about eliminating the risk of running out of ink and reducing the hassle of buying replacement cartridges. Um, happens to the best of us right before a big deadline, just when you're printing handouts for a key presentation, the printer runs out of ink. Tired of the frequent expense and hassle of replacing ink cartridges? With an internal ink storage tank, larger ink cartridges, and an intelligent page guide that displays ink levels, Brother Ink Vestment Tank printers can literally change the way you ink. Get it? Brother Ink Vestment Tank Color Inkjet All-in-One Printer delivers ultra convenience along with a low cost per page and affordable upfront price. Enjoy uninterrupted printing with your choice of up to one or two years of ink included in box. Ink Vestment Tanks helps eliminate frequently buying and replacing ink cartridges. Ink Vestment Tank printers can help keep your business running while delivering super functionality for your business, including print, copy, scan, and fax. With Ink Vestment Tank, there's no sweating over your printer running out of ink, just the features, convenient reliability, and affordability you need. Learn more at changethewayyouink.com and get ready to change the way you ink. Okay. Uh, so um, the guy in, uh, in, uh, outside of San Francisco uh, did, the, did the death threat. The first Christian to actually do you wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, Late to the game, wasn't he? It was amazing. We did that show, and I get a phone call from my father-in-law, who I like very, very much. And my father-in-law said to me, uh, Penn, what the fuck are you doing? You have a one-year-old daughter, you're getting death threats? Pretty powerful phone call. Uh, I get a call from CBS saying, we will take care of everything. Uh, they put an armed guard patrolling my house. You can imagine how that thrilled my wife. <laughs> Let me just tell you, when you've done something that an armed guard patrols your house at night, yeah. I mean, you look out and there's a guy with a gun walking around your house. Uh, uh, you're, there's, a, there's a brittleness in the relationship. I mean, when, yeah. I forget this, when I forget that it's garbage night, there's a brittle in my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. It got, it got brittle, and uh, CBS 
started throwing money at it. Now, I called. Like, <laughs> Not t- the relationship. Right. <laughs> Gave money I, to his wife. I called. Please like, stay an, with him. I said, please, an, an here's armed, more money. An armed marriage counselor. <laughs> and uh, our our office, he tried to. Uh, so this is where it gets really important. Okay. I call my two most important advisors on anything to do with legal and life and death. I call Bob Corn Revere, mm-hmm. who was a First Amendment attorney who's argued in front of the Supreme Court, He'd been on the show, huge mm-hmm. hero of mine. Yeah. I call him up, I tell him the story, and Bob goes, hmm, I want to take his case for being able to say, uh, kill somebody on the air. <laughs> That's an interesting free speech thing. But that having been said, <laughs> I want to think about you as my friend. Yeah. He said, uh, 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 I don't know exactly what you do, but I do know that it probably isn't a free speech issue because otherwise mobsters would be able to call up anybody and say, kill that guy, and that's not free speech. The fact that it's using radio instead of telephone, I don't think, mitigates it at all. He said, uh, so I, I think you're in good shape, but he said, you know, if you take this court case court, this case to court, um, every headline will read, Penn should be dead for what he said about uh, Mother Teresa, in which case you've now amplified the death threat. So I suggest you say nothing. I said, okay, thanks. Hung up the phone. Then I called Lawrence O'Donnell Jr. And I said to Lawrence, um, told him the whole story. And said, what do I do? LOD said, make sure that man is not fired. Do not allow him to be fired. I said, What? He said, your whole job is to make sure he keeps his job. You tell the president of CBS to call him and say, you are not being fired, but you are not allowed to apologize or say a word. You cannot say the word pen, even in the context of pen and pencil. You cannot say pen and teller. You cannot say the word teller. You cannot say the word Gillette. You change the kind of razors you use to shick. (laughs) The words pen, pen and teller, and Gillette will never be said on your show again, ever. And your full contract will go up. He said, that's what you call and tell the president to do. Because then the story ends there. Nothing else is said. And he is not allowed to apologize and he's not allowed to defend. Only the people that heard that know about it. You never say a word. Let me tell you something about no comment. No comment does not mean you say no comment. No comment means no comment, which means when anybody calls your office with a question about this, your assistant says, oh, we've heard nothing about this. Uh, We'll get back to you. Then don't get back. Give them nothing they can possibly quote. And you have not heard that this happened. You are, in, you are absolutely there. You call the president right now and beg for that man's job. I said, really? He said, yes. Anything else gets Pendulet should be dead more in the mail, any, more in the news. Uh, you must protect your daughter. Protecting your daughter is keeping his job. I said, but what a... What a fucking scumbag. He said, who cares? There's a scumbag on the radio. Whoopee! <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, you hang up with me and do that. 
hang up with LOD, I call the president. I go right through to the president of CBS. I never talked to him before. Yeah. <laughs> right through to the president of CBS, right? And I say... Uh, Just through Siri. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, 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 don't worry, he's being fired this afternoon. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Funny thing. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, stop. I don't want him fired. He said, well, I do. No one gives death threats. On, well, I'm president. I don't allow death threats. I don't allow him to talk about me. I hate this fuck. He's fired. And he's fired. His whole crew is fired. His engineer is fired. They're all fired, and they're getting no pay beyond this. I said, I would like him not to be fired. He goes, I don't give a fuck. What? You, what? <laughs> I said, uh, if you fire him, he will go on and say he's been fired, and it'll end up saying I'm going to they should kill me more. He goes, well, we're going to give you more protection. I go, I, I don't want more protection. I want it to go away. So please don't fire yeah. him. More protection or less threat? <laughs> <laughs> I, he said, uh, no, no, he's, he's going to be fired. I said, please hear me out. And I made a very compelling argument. And he said, you know, that's a fine argument. But I have my morality to deal with. And someone did a death threat on my watch. And there's no way in my morality I can be pragmatic about this. You're doing a pragmatic argument. I must do the moral argument. He'll be fired. I said, please reconsider. He said, nope. Hung up. He then called and fired him. Then the, the press went crazy. Every, he wanted to debate me. Mr. Freedom of Speech wants to go on all this. Uh, I wanted to debate him. Uh, our, our office was answering the phone like, Penn? Who? What? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Rio. What is a radio? The Rio was having security walk me to and from my car. Then I had an armed guard meet me at home. Uh, a private detective was hired by CBS to find out if this guy had a gun permit and to find out where he was. All right. Um, Jonesy said, sue him. I said, good, good, good. I'll sue him for everything he's got. As a DJ in Northern California. <laughs> Shut up, Jonesy. <laughs> he said, well, he's wrong. 16 canned goods. <laughs> and a Beretta. I get those jeans. Get them off. <laughs> All rise. <laughs> and then the punchline gets really weird because a few months later, and I remember... Of all the times you've been shocked in your life, <laughs> might this have been the most shocked? It was, this was really funny, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get served with papers that he was suing me for wrongful termination. He had proof that I'd called the president of CBS and that I had told him to fire him. The secretary was willing to testify. She put a call through to him. There was a talk with the president. Then he fired him. So Big Bad Pendulette, the deep pockets in this, had had him fired, and I was being sued for millions of dollars. I called the lawyer that CBS had assigned to me and said, I have a question about these papers that have been served to me. And she said, what is it? And I said, my question is, what the fuck? What the fucking fuck? What the fuck? What? She said, that's exactly the question our legal team has been asking. I said, do you mean to tell me? That if I'm working at McDonald's and I'm a uh, fry cook and the, uh, and the cashier comes over and goes, you come into work tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And I go to my manager and say, you know, the, the guy, cashier, just said he was going to kill me if I come into work tomorrow. You either fire him or I'm not coming in tomorrow. She goes, oh, you can't do that. I said, what? 
<laughs> and she said, so you were not allowed to call the president of CBS and tell him to fire. I said, I didn't. She goes, what? I go, I didn't. I called and said not to fire him. She said, you called and said don't fire him? I said, yes. She goes, why'd you do that? <laughs> so I told the whole story. Yeah, yeah. And she went, oh, that, that's smart. But he ignored you. I said, yes. So she said, not only should you have a right to have him fired, but also you asked to keep his job. You begged for his job. I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, well, this could be a great case. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes on. And I found out that uh, if you're deposed, mm-hmm. it rips your heart out. Yes. Godot was deposed. Have you ever been deposed? No, uh, but I just know from uh, talking to other people who've gone through lawsuits. And my father, you know, my father was private practice for years before he became a public defender. And he just says, he always says, if you can avoid a lawsuit, just get away. It was, even if you're totally right. It was horrible. It just takes forever. It was and, horrible. And, it takes forever. And that's the thing. It's everyone's deposition uh, strategy is the same, which is to get you exhausted. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Did you do it? No. Did you do it? No. Did you do it? No. <laughs> and and uh, Sly and the Family Stone yeah. said, uh, you don't cry because you look all broke down, but you cry anyway because you're all broke down. Yeah. And that's that summed up everything for me. And they told me it was, a, it was an elderly Christian real estate lawyer who was doing it pro bono <laughs> up against, I mean, it really is. He's the underdog up against CBS Radio's law team from L.A. <laughs> we had like four people on our side, all being paid hundreds of dollars an hour yeah. against a pro bono guy who didn't know anything. And they told me, never help him, never help him. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a moment when they said, uh, are you familiar with Bill Carlin's seven words you can't say on television? I said, no. Said, you're not familiar with Bill Carlin. I said, no. He said, freedom of speech advocate and comedian Bill Carlin. I said, don't know him. He <laughs> said, you are friends with Bill Carlin. He's been in your movie. I said, not that I know of. He said, you are not familiar with Bill Carlin's seven words you can never say on television. Yeah. I said, uh, no. He said, you're telling me under oath here in a deposition that you've never heard of Bill Carlin's seven words you can't say on television. I said, no. He said, you've said other places that you are friends with Bill Carlin. Is that correct? I said, not that I remember. And finally, after 10 minutes, I went, George Carlin, you stupid motherfucker. (laughs) At which point uh, my uh, lawyer said, we'll take a recess here. We went out in the hall, and she said, the rest of the day was going to be Bill Carlin. That's just costing them money. Why did you say George? I said, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> she said, you have to take it. And they said, we're thinking of deposing Lawrence O'Donnell Jr. about the conversation he had with you. I called LOD and said, I'm so sorry. I don't want you dragged into this. They also said, we're going to call Bob Corn Revere. They had my court records, my phone mm-hmm. records, and I called both of them. We're going to call them, depose them. I called him up to say, I'm going to try to get you out of this. <laughs> Popcorn Revere said, oh, don't get me out of it. He said, "What do I like to talk about the limits of the First Amendment? <laughs> yes, I do. I've talked about it in front of the Supreme Court. The idea of explaining this to an elderly real estate lawyer on their dime thrills me. <laughs> Let's go. And then LOD said, 
Oh, you're, you're, you're scared of depositions, aren't you? I said, yeah, I hate it. He said, ah, my mother was a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer. My three brothers are lawyers. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> he said, also, I love talking about myself. I love hearing myself speak. <laughs> he said, I think I can do three days on the phone call with Ben Gillette. <laughs> Before I get to the fact that I told you to not have him fired. He said, I will love this. I'll play the camera. I'll make jokes. He said, what you are not good at, I am good at. If they bring up Bill Carlin, I will go through every Carlin I knew growing up. I'll say, well, there was Sam Carlin who lived down the street. And we'll talk about him for two hours. He said, I love talking. Please get me deposed. Please, 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 please. So we almost had. Now, Godot did not like being deposed. I did not. It was a, a long and unpleasant day. Although there was the one moment where I got to say, yeah, and that's the point where your client threatened to have my friend killed. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that they probably weren't happy that they led me into a position to be able to say that that directly. And I had my Perry Mason moment, my fabulous Perry Mason moment, where he said to me, um, "Will you recall the uh, the the uh, the events of this date?" And I said, I, "I didn't do any research. I don't know what date that was." And he said, "That's the date that uh, my client offered money to have you killed." I said, okay. So I went through the whole day and my, my, my father-in-law calling and all of that. And then two hours later, he said, you know about comedy on radio and shock jocks and you've worked with Stern. You've worked with all of these. You know what shock jocks are all about. Tell me honestly, honestly, is there anyone that you heard talk about this threat that actually took it seriously and not as a joke? Anyone? I said, yes. He said, would you detail those? I said, you want all of them? I said, yes. I said, starting with today, when I asked you what date that was, and you said that was the date my client said you were going to be killed. <laughs> I said, as far as I know, there was no laugh in the courtroom. It's so a court record show uh, in the deposition. <laughs> court record show a laugh? And I looked over at the videographer and said, did you laugh? Slight chuckle? Were you suppressing laughter? I said to the stenographer, did you write down parentheses laughter? I said, so as far as I know, you took that completely seriously. So the first person who told me seriously, going back in chronological order, is you. I thought we were just going to break for commercial. That was the end of it. But no, I had to then go back and say my wife, my father-in-law, Trudeau, my manager, the armed guard walking around my house who came up and said, I'm protecting you because some asshole said he was going to kill you. I, said, I had to go back to all of those. That's why, I mean, you have gone through this experience. Don't you have way more sympathy when they leak deposition video mm. of anything that's going on? Don't you feel like that's so wrong? Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just, it's amazing. And it's amazing how... The crime I was, uh, a crime I was accused of shouldn't be a crime. Right. I also didn't do it. <laughs> right, right. CBS had promised to pay all my legal bills and all my fines. Yeah. I had nothing on the line. Nothing. I was 100% in the right, and I was completely covered by a giant corporation. And I was on my knees in the men's room vomiting before I went out. And I'm used to talking... 
Yeah. It's amazing how it beats you up. Yeah. And Godot, you had nothing on the line. Nothing. Right. Nothing. It's no still stakes. Horrible. No 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 skin in the game whatsoever. Right. And just the horror. Just the horror that uh somehow that this could go wrong. You know what I mean? That you're you're in the middle of a court case where perhaps if you lose, maybe you'll lose your job, maybe you'll lose your home, maybe these things will happen. And if this just happened... even as remote a possibility as that, imagine for a moment that, okay, Matt, there's a, there's a one in a million chance we're going to pick you up tomorrow and take you to jail. You're going to lose your house and your family. It, it it's one in a million is still too much. I wake up every day. Yeah. <laughs> with that fear. Um, was this before or after the OJ prosecution team botched everything? <laughs> Before and after the OJ case, I imagine, makes a huge difference how you feel about getting to. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a remarkable experience. And so we started up Penn Sunday School. And by the way, the guy, the bad guy, I believe, is doing a uh, podcast that no one hears out of Texas. Oh, good. Uh, every once in a while, we check up on him. How's he doing? <laughs> uh, uh, what's what's going on with him? Uh, they would not do. They wouldn't do a summer summer dismissal. Is that what it's called? Uh, Summarily dismissed. Yeah. I don't know the yeah. other way to say it. They didn't. Uh, they didn't do that. They didn't throw it right out of court no, as soon. It the actually first day. went through some. Then they then they threw it out, and it was done. And it was over, and uh, that was it. And he got jack shit. Yeah. And Jonesy. Jonesy backstage every single night. A guy says kill him and then <laughs> sues him, sues him after threatening to kill him. How, 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 how does that happen? I said from the very beginning, he needs to sue him. He's the one. We know, we know. <laughs> 16 canned goods, buddy. <laughs> No, all, those, all those spaghettios for my kids when they get older. <laughs> Thank you, Jones. Well, the, we covered um, original mission statement. We haven't covered anything on the fact list, but we're going to get to that next week. Because for now, this was Penn Sunday School. Cha cha cha. This year we have like ten episodes. This is nice. You become naked. <laughs> This was a uh, very nice uh, fact laid out that, yeah. that Reddy Rich did. And you saw one item, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be back Wednesday with more items. <laughs> Item two. <laughs> And we'll be back Wednesday with uh, answering some more tech questions. And we will not do it in Swahili. This, this is dedicated to Tom Carlin. Bill Carlin, (laughs) Hank Carlin, Henry Carlin, anyone but the whole Carlin family, George Carlin. Hey, everybody. Jason Ellis here from the Jason Ellis Show podcast, reminding you that my podcast, new episodes every Wednesday, downloadable where all podcasts are available. Come see my friends, Michael and Kevin, as we talk to you about what's awesome, what sucks, fitness, fighting, parenting, life, spin kicks, LGBTQ community, how to defend yourself against the shark if it attacks you out of nowhere, and much, much more. So come join us. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.